0: Our scripture today comes from James chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And the title of the message is Humble Yourselves. Humble Yourselves. So this is James chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. There he says to us, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say, He yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? This is God. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Your neighbor. Each week, as we read these words given to us by the Apostle James, we become more and more aware of why so many people within the churches today only want to hear their preachers give the kindest and the gentlest of messages about God and about his expectations of us and our behaviors. People don't want to hear messages like the Apostle James gives. They only want to hear kind messages such as those that say God loves you and he wants you to be healthy and prosperous. But here again, as with so many of the other rebukes that James has already given to us within this book, these words continue to be difficult to hear, difficult to accept, Verse after verse, the apostles' words continue to appear to be harsh, strict, severe, some of them even sounding condemning. And folks, again, the mindsets within many of the people in today's churches just will not tolerate coming to church each Sunday to hear preachers like the apostle James. They think him to be browbeating them with his words. But may I say to us, these words of James are not browbeating us. They really are not. And may also be faithful to remind us over and over again that while, yes, these words do come out of the mind and the emotions of the Apostle James, sometimes the Apostle Paul and others, these words are still the very breath of God. God wanted James to say these words to you and me today. So he breathed them verbatim into the mind and the heart of James. And then James put them down on these pages that we read today. God tells us that he does that in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. And then he also tells us in 2 Peter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, none of these words come from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. James didn't think of these words. They were breathed into him by God himself. And he says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So then, as we read these seemingly harsh and severe words, you and I need to remember that they are coming from the loving heart of God. And God is our Father who desires to bless you and me, His beloved children, and to grow us up in the nurture and admonition of righteousness. I'm reminded of those times when in raising our children my own words i know on occasion would seem overly harsh and severe to our children with their limited life experiences they wouldn't be aware of some of the dangers that lay in front of them that i had experienced but they still would want to do them and i would warn them away from some of those things and on some of the occasions when they would object to my instructions. My responses then would increase in the intensity, no doubt seeming harsh to them. And such seems to be the occasion with these words of our text today from the book of James. Again, always remember that these words of Scripture are given to us by a loving Father who intends to help us. His intent is to to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us up in ways of righteousness and to equip us for the good works that he wants us to do. Recall in Ephesians 2, we readily remember the verses that tell us that it is by grace through faith that we are saved and not of works, lest anyone boast. But the very next verse says that we were created. All that was brought about, our salvation was brought about so that we could do the works of God. So God has a purpose for training us up in righteousness. He wants to equip us to do those good works. And folks, you and I need to humble ourselves and accept that we really do need to be corrected, that we really do need to be uh, trained up. We're not the good and righteous people that we often think ourselves to be. Yes, we may behave better than some other people, and we may be even better now than we used to be before we were saved. But even so, even so, our ways are still simple. Romans chapter 3 reminds us there is none righteous, not one, including you and me. And while some of these words of James may not fit on this given day, tomorrow we may suddenly get caught up in some of the very sins that James is talking about here. You'll recall Also, that James is writing these words to believers, just like you and me. And he told us in the first verses of this chapter, he warned his Christian brethren then, and he warns us now. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you only want to get it for your own purposes. Listen, I know that none of us are caught up in any of the behaviors that James has spoken about in, in the scriptures that he's given us today, but I can recall just as we talked about in the messages a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I was caught up, and I do fear that some of you were caught up in a pure of ungoverned political passions all about the elections that were taking place, emotions that get out of control. And we do the silliest thing of saying ugly stuff to a television set. It can't hear us, but we do those kind of things. We violate exactly what God was saying to us in these verses here that I just read. Again, God loves us and he wants to warn us away from those kinds of behaviors. So here in today's text, God identifies the underlying cause of our misguided passions, and he gives us the only remedy that will take it away. Listen to these words. These are very clear, beginning in verse 6 of today's passage. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As I read his words, I'm reminded that the Lord Jesus is the speaking voice of God. I love that expression, him being the speaking voice of God. In these words, we can hear the voice of the Lord Jesus commending his very essence of his character to us, that of humility. Jesus is humble and meek. And you recall there in Matthew 11 where Jesus says to us, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am humble and meek, gentle and lowly of heart. He wants us to learn that basic character trait of his, that of humility. In this verse I just read, he gives us two words that describe the very essence of his character. The words in this version of Scripture, gentle and lowly of heart, or humble and meek, are two separate words, two different words. One of those words for humble, both of them mean humble, but one means to consider other people better than yourself and to conduct your behavior with them in that way where you would consider them better than yourself the other word goes a step further in humility it's that of being willing to suffer humiliation for the benefit of another person and that's true humility and jesus calls you and me to have and to always show that kind of humility as we involve ourselves with other people. He is gentle and lowly of heart, and so should we be. That's his character. That's his personality. Why does God take this and other similar opportunities all through these scriptures to instruct us about humility? It's because pride in all its many forms is mankind's most destructive sin, most destructive sin, often causing very hurtful behaviors towards other people. Pride was so very evident, you might recall in the many recent misguided behaviors and those ungoverned political passions that were seen in that election process. It was pride. Pride was the foundational problem. And folks, please know that on our own, you and I can't fix our prideful hearts. Let me say that again. On our own, you and I cannot fix our prideful hearts. The only remedy for pride is for the humility of Christ to rise up within us and take control within our souls. That's the only remedy. And please do remember also that God has already done His part in our receiving the precious humility of Christ. In those first moments that you and I were saved, scriptures tell us that the righteousness of Christ was by grace imputed into each of our souls. And that means that His presence His humble character is already within me, within you. And so we we are without excuse. But what takes place? Well, within that transaction of how he imputes his righteousness into us, we have a part in that transaction. We must yield our hearts to receive that gift of his grace. You recall those words that we studied back in the book of John, the first chapter? There we're told in verse 12 that, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Both of those instructions in that verse are necessary. You and I must believe, but it cannot stop there. We can believe. You'll recall we studied this earlier in the book of James. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. There's another part to it, and it's the rest of this verse to those who receive him. You and I must not only believe him, we have to receive God's grace. And no, I don't understand that whole transaction. But you and I do. We must agree with God and receive that special grace. His grace is complete. Yes, we are saved no matter what, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there's still the requirement of us to receive what he has given to us. Within that eternal transaction, there are requirements that you and I must do on that part of that covenant agreement. And again, we must do these two things. We must believe Him and we must receive Him. And with receiving Him, that's that imputed character that comes into us. And with that character comes His humility. And again, no, I don't understand the mystery of that whole transaction. But on the authority of the Word of God, it's true. And so I have to by faith, and you must by faith believe it. So then, as we receive this righteousness of Christ, we're then able to be humble, have his humility in us, and then we can begin to overcome the pride that seeks to always get control over our lives. But that truth then is the foundation of these other words that we just read. Then those words don't seem quite so harsh. They're not condemning. With the humility of Christ abiding within us, we're then able to go ahead and see ourselves as being those who are weak and sinful and in need of the training in righteousness that he wants to give to us. And so James says to us that we have to submit ourselves to God and how precious it is when we do that, when we submit ourselves to God. And about those words that he gives to us here about submission, I want to emphasize that this is not the form of submission that is a forced kind of submission. Too often we give in because we have to. So much like our children obey us when they don't want to obey us. He doesn't want us to have that kind of half-hearted submission, but he also doesn't want us to receive his instruction in a compelling way. You and I need to receive this grace willingly, and desire to have it. And it's the kind of submission that takes place in what I like to refer to as absolute surrender. The giving up of my claim to my right to myself, which is one of the worst forms of pride. Ponder those words, if you will, over time. That's one of the most destructive forms of pride. My claim or my right to myself. God wants us to give that up. And he wants us to give over all of our struggles to the Savior that we can trust. A Savior who will guide and protect us as we get about the work that he desires for us to do. And that was what I was saying, I believe, before our service began. He not only wants to be our Savior, he wants to be our Lord. And if he's our Lord, then we're going to submit to him. Praise be to God that Jesus is present within us. And it is a protecting kind of presence. Because as we know, and he tells us right here in these next words, that our enemy, the devil, will never cease his attacks on us. I would invite you to just read the words of a mighty fortress is our God. Words written by Martin Luther. The devil, our enemy, he never ceases his attacks on us. And with the presence of Christ, though, within us, We can do, as this verse 7 here tells us, we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. You know, sadly, so many people within our churches, and I, I believe fairly prevalent within our Presbyterian churches, don't like to talk about the devil or about his evil effects in our lives. I have some very good Christian friends who intentionally avoid even considering the devil. They say such things as, well... I have enough sin within myself. I don't need to blame the devil. But folks, please, please, on the authority of these words, just even these words alone that I read this morning, I strongly encourage you and me to fully understand that the devil is ever and always at work inserting his evil presence into your and my daily life. And we need to know that he is there and that he has power and that we must actively and intentionally Resist him, else he will surely do as it says here in these words. He will cause us to be double-minded if he gets into our behaviors. But listen also, as we resist the devil, we need to be careful in the way that we resist him. Our resistance is not to be as some of our brethren attempt. They want to rebuke Satan and they want to cast him out of their presence. No, I fear that the devil only smirks that sort of activity. Our resistance is instead a very simple and nonviolent confrontation, just as he tells us here. Our resistance is to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And it's as simple as that. The devil will not remain in the presence of the Spirit of Christ. You'll recall those words when Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's what will take place when you and I Draw near to Christ. The presence of Christ will drive away Satan. And then on, as we look at these next words, we see that even more is required of you and me. Listen to these words beginning in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to doom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. You and I, folks, you and I cannot be passive. We can't be milquetoast Christians. There really is a battle that is always being waged, and there is work to be done on our part. And probably the hardest work that we'll ever have to do is to actively participate in God's sanctification of our souls. Yes, He saved us. You and I did nothing to get saved. He is the one who saved us. It was a gift. That's what Ephesians 2 says to us. It was a gift from Him. But not so sanctification. Yes, He is ever and always so involved in our sanctification. But He requires you and me to join in to that part of His ministry to us. We have to participate in that sanctification Otherwise, again, we'll do as these words here tell us that we'll do, and that is we'll become double-minded. As believers, we really do want all the blessings that God has for us. But not many of us enjoy some of the steps that it takes to get where God wants us to be. And especially, listen to these words. Most people don't like to, most church members don't like to hear these words. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Folks, you won't hear that said in our health and wealth and prosperity churches. They don't say things like that, but God says it. And he gave James the words to give to us. And these words are not inviting. But also recall the words of the Lord Jesus that are on the Sermon of the Mount. He said much the same kind of things about how we are to be blessed and even happy but it's doing this in Matthew 5 he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek the humble for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it goes on and on. And again, very similar words here. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning. Dear friends, these instructions are not very inviting, especially from our modern form of thinking. But on the authority of these words of God, if we will do exactly this, then we will surely be far more blessed and happy than we could ever hope or imagine. And then these next words, to further sanctify our souls. In verse 11, God gives us a simple truth about the foolishness of our rebellious tongue. You'll recall in chapters 2 and 3 especially, he talks about this tongue. We're not able to control our tongue. We too often find ourselves saying something bad about another church member or about a neighbor, especially about our politicians or our uh, news media. And as we ridicule those people, most often our minds don't even have the first thought about God and how we're offending him. But here God is telling us that whatever we say against those people, any of those people, we have to remember that our offense is really against him. He tells us that in several places in Scripture, but here again. He tells us in verse 11, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother, judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Those righteous requirements of God. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This truth is so very simple. So very simple. But we fail to see the error of our ways as we get about our daily rants with our friends. Do you have friends that you can count on being able to commiserate and rant with them about a particular thing that's going on? We don't think a thing about it when we do it. We don't really want to think that we are judging people, especially those that we're ranting about, railing accusations. But it's clear from these words that when we speak evil against the law, we're speaking evil against the lawgiver, God himself. And how foolish we are and then also as we mentioned in the message last week you and I must never usurp the authority of God by placing ourselves in the position of being another person's judge yes we're to recognize the wrongful behavior of other people and we're to steer clear of those behaviors ourselves but God really does not want you or me to steal his authority from him and ourselves become that other person's judge He and he alone is their judge. We can neither condemn nor forgive their sins. God alone can do that. Yes, you and I are to always forgive offenses that are against us personally, even to 70 times 7 as Jesus told his disciples. But folks, our forgiveness of someone else's misdeeds does not absolve that person of their sin. How often have you said to a friend, oh, I feel so wretched because I did this and that during the week that was wrong. And they say, oh, that's all right. That's just human nature. Let me assure you, they don't have the power to forgive you for what you do. That's between you and God. It's between me and God. Our forgiveness of someone else's misdeeds doesn't absolve that person from sin. That person, we, we need to go to God with a repentant heart when we've done something wrong. One last warning before we close. Yes, these words of the Apostle James are strong and difficult to hear. Severe sometimes. But please know that God gives them from a loving heart. Because there is still much work to be done in our souls. And God wants you and me to humble ourselves, as He tells us here, before Him, before our friends, before our neighbors. And He wants us to allow the Holy Spirit to finish that good work that he has begun in us god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore he tells us to god submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you let's pray